0: Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Intervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips, and we are thrilled to bring back Chuck Williams, who is the Reserve Lieutenant with the Orange County Sheriff's Department Search and Rescue Unit. He's been with the department for 14 years, and in his real-life profession, he is Chief Operating Officer of North Shore Management, which is a crisis management company for the health care industry. Thank you again for coming back to join us.
1: It's my pleasure, Mari.
0: Well, last week we talked about what you do as Lieutenant of the Search and Rescue Division. You are also an expert dog trainer for that unit as well. Tell us about the rescue and cadaver dogs and what kinds of dogs you use in their training.
1: Well, Mari, we have two different types. One is a trailing dog, and typically we use bloodhounds for that mission. Bloodhounds are scent-specific trailers. So we give them a scent article from a specific individual, and they will trail that specific individual wherever they went. And it's, it's just an amazing task that those dogs can, uh, can execute. The air scent dogs, which Charlie is a human remains detection dog. She's also what we call a wilderness air scent dog. She does air scenting, which is she doesn't follow specific scent, but she follows for instance, anyone who's out in the wilderness, she will find them an alert and come and tell me. With the cadaver material, she does what we call a passive alert, which is where she lies down or sits with her nose towards the greatest source of that scent. So
0: how do you do that training?
1: That is, a, It's a long process. All scent dogs are, are trained the same way. We start with boxes with the scent that we're exploring. I use various forms of decomposition, blood products, bandages, can be soil that's been under a decomposing body. And she is trained that that's the game, that's what we're looking for and by, we start with scent boxes and we go out into the field and ultimately um, she knows that's what we're looking for when I give her the correct command.
0: Can you give us some examples of how you've used the dogs and what they've been able to do?
1: The Bloodhound team has numerous fines both from missing children's to missing Alzheimer's patients to fleeing felons who have evaded the police by jumping out of a car and running away. We're able to get a scent article off that seat, trail the person and hopefully facilitate the arrest. With Charlie, Charlie has two two skeletal remain finds where we were tasked uh, to go out and do a search. Both times she found skeletonized remains where we were able to locate people who had been missing for uh, significant periods of time and, and, if you will, close that chapter for that family.
0: That is wonderful. Why don't you give your website again, and then we want to thank you for joining us.
1: The website for the search and rescue unit is www. O-C-S-D dash S-R-R-U dot org. And that stands for Orange County Sheriff's Department Search and Rescue Reserve Unit dot org.
0: Well, Lieutenant Chuck Williams, we sure appreciate all the great work you're doing. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest
2: program guide.
3: Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Good evening, Murray.
0: Good evening. I am so thrilled to have a guest today that I met about 20 years ago when we gave her an award for being an outstanding woman lawyer with the Orange County Woman Lawyers Association. And she has done so much for women, for civil rights, constantly ever vigilant, working hard for all people. And I want to talk to you about Gloria Alred. She's an attorney and partner in the Los Angeles firm of Alred Morocco, and Goldberg. She's been practicing law for over 32 years. Her law firm represents plaintiffs in cases involving employment discrimination, including sex, race, age, physical handicap, and sexual orientation discrimination. She also deals with AIDS discrimination, sexual harassment, and wrongful termination. They are well known for their work on behalf of victims in civil rights, rape, child abuse, child sexual abuse, and murder cases. She has won countless honors for her pioneering legal work on behalf of women's rights and rights for minorities, including the President's Volunteer Action Award for Outstanding Volunteerism, which was presented to her by Ronald Reagan in the White House at that time. Miss Allred founded and is currently serving as president of the Women's Equal Rights Legal Defense and Education Fund. Gloria was also a host herself, a host of KABC talk radio for 14 years. She was selected by USA Today as one of the top 25 most important radio talk show host in America, and she was nominated for an Emmy three times for her television commentaries on KABC-TV. She's written dozens of articles, of which I've read, and she also wrote a book recently that I just finished that was fascinating. It's called Fight Back and Win, my 30-year Fight Against Injustice and How You Can Win Your Own Battles by Gloria Alred. She is absolutely terrific, and you may be hearing about her and seeing her in the press quite a bit right now in the media because she has recently filed a new lawsuit on behalf of the marriage cases and her client's after Prop 8, and we're going to talk about that. Thank you so much for joining us, Gloria. Well,
4: thank you very much for having me, Mari.
0: Well, you are terrific. So tell us, first of all, let's talk a little bit about your book. Tell us, how is it that you came to, to write this book?
4: Well, we've had so many high-profile cases over the years, and uh, and you know, I have thought of the fact that perhaps we could use those cases, put them in a book in order to help to empower victims, especially women to help them to understand how that they have more power to win justice in their own lives than they ever realized that they had. we've gone up against the rich, the powerful the famous, the wrongdoers, the sexual abusers, the sexual harassers, the batterers, the killers, the you know uh, many who have discriminated against uh, victims and I thought I want to write this book, and provide little empowerment lessons at the end of each chapter to help people who are not lawyers to know how they can win their rights, because they do have rights, and we want them to know how to assert them, and often they can do so even without a lawyer.
0: I thought that was great, though the way that you went about doing that. At at the end of every chapter, you gave some really important hints and things to do to protect yourself and what to do to go forward. And the people that you represent were ordinary people, a lot of them. I mean, yes, you... Have you know represented celebrities, but you've also represented just ordinary people, and I think that's what they need to know that ordinary people can fight back too.
4: Well, exactly. matter of fact, we just had a news conference where I represented a woman bartender who alleged that she was put in the kitchen because she had gained five pounds. Ugh. and she was a five six size when she was hired. And she's still a five-six. But anyway, we want her the right to be able to go back to her job, serving the public, out front, visible, even if she has gained five pounds. And uh, so that's another example of fighting back in the employment area so that uh, persons who have been discriminated against, and we allege she was discriminated against on account of her gender, that she was a victim of sexual stereotyping, that uh, a, a typical person can fight back and win.
0: Exactly. And you have so many examples like that. In your book, you also shared a great deal about your own life, how the, your early experience in, in life really led you to become an attorney and led you to fight for women in civil rights. Would you mind sharing some of that, how you've actually become the phoenix rising out of the ashes?
4: <laughs> well, of course, I am a feminist, not because of any class I ever had in women's studies, because I never had any such class. I wish I had, but I hadn't. And uh, But because of my own life experiences, having been... Uh, Pregnant as a teenager, having been a single mom uh, not long thereafter, married and divorced in college, having to raise a child on my own, often not being able to uh, get the child support that the court had ordered, being discriminated against on account of my gender my very first job at uh, a department store. And, you know, being the victim of rape, being the victim of so many issues that so many millions of women experience. So ultimately, when I did become an attorney, I decided that I did want to help other women uh, to pass it on. And that's really what the suffragists said, which is each one tell 10 to tell 10 to tell 10 and pass it on. And I feel that those of us who are privileged who have become attorneys, we do have a duty to help others and to improve the condition status of women, to help to bring women into the mainstream of American life in equal partnership with men. That's what I decided to do, and 32 years later, uh, I've been blessed to have a law firm team who, uh, who is very supportive of that goal and wonderful attorneys who work every day very hard to win rights and to win justice for our clients.
0: It amazes me that you have had your two partners For 30 years, you met them in law school, right?
4: Exactly. 32 years. uh, Nathan Goldberg and Michael Morocco, they were my classmates at Loyola Law School.
0: And you talked them into even having a law firm together. I did. (laughs) I
4: sat them down, and God only knows why they listened to me, but I'm glad they did because they had a lot of offers from big firms since they had done so well in their class. Nathan was number one in in our class at, at graduation, and Michael was very high up. But uh, they decided to go into practice with me, and they have become extraordinary lawyers. They care so much about our clients, very dedicated, good people, and uh, somehow they put up with me for 32 years as a result. We have won hundreds of millions of dollars for victims, right? And uh, and I could not have done you've, you've it made without some... them and without the other wonderful uh, partners and associates I have in my law firm, right?
0: And you've made some significant changes in in our society too. One of the most challenging and historic issues that you're working on right now is the subject of same-sex marriages. And I just read your brief that you filed on November 5th, but let's, let's talk about how you first got involved in those cases.
4: Well, I first got involved in those cases when uh, Robin Tyler called me, and she asked me to witness her uh, going down to the Beverly Hills Courthouse, and this was about four years ago, uh, with her partner in life, uh, Diane Olson, and they wanted to obtain a marriage license and uh, they asked me to witness it, and they knew that they were going to be denied a license because they were a same-gender couple. And, and so I said, okay, well, I'll go. But then I thought about it, and I thought, well, I, you know, this is not really comfortable for me to just go and witness injustice. I'm used to doing something right, right. about the injustice.
2: <laughs> right. So I
4: began to research what, if anything, could be done if they were denied the license. Would we have a probability of success if we challenged it as being unconstitutional? And, I, and after some research, we believed that we would have that chance. So uh, I uh, decided that I would you know, go ahead and uh, announce with them that we would pursue a lawsuit uh, and uh, challenge the then Prop 22, which was a, a section that was added by uh, initiative to the Family Code, uh, limiting marriage to a man and a woman, that we would challenge it as being unconstitutional, and we were the first to announce that we would challenge that. Uh, immediately, we we did that immediately after they were denied that early in the morning, um, and then a few hours later, suddenly the marriages started taking place in San Francisco. We had no no idea that the that Mayor Newsom had any was going to do that. It was a closely held secret.
0: Oh, and really? That's so interesting. And it so happened that we were
4: the first to announce. We, 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 I always recognized that that was not going to be constitutional for him to issue marriage licenses prior to a judicial declaration of constitutionality. Right. So we took a different route, and we were challenging the denial of the license. And in any event, we proceeded with that case in litigation for four years, uh, and ultimately we won at the Supreme Court. As a result, in May, we won the right for same-gender couples to marry. And then, of course, now we're in the situation where Prop 8 uh, an initiative was put on the ballot, and the voters just had a chance to vote on that. And that, again, attempts to restrict marriage to the union of a man and a woman. This is after the Supreme Court declared that it's unconstitutional a denial of equal protection to deny marriage licenses to same-gender couples. So immediately uh, the next day after the election, we filed a lawsuit, um, and that was, I guess, just last week. Right. And, um, and we, in other words, we filed a petition with the California Supreme Court seeking a writ of mandamus. Uh, in plain English, that means a- also asking for an immediate stay of Prop 8 to stop it from going into effect. We did that on behalf of Robin and Diane, and now we've also added another couple who are not married, but who wish to marry, because Robin and Diane did get married after the Supreme Court victory.
0: And let let my audience know that in the the first time that um, the it it was on the initiative process was used, it was not to change the constitution. It was only to change the family law code. And the second time they tried to change the constitution, and I thought I really thought you did a great job on your brief. Let's talk about some of the important issues in this written of mandamus. You you go in and you talk about what the Supreme Court ruled, and could you share that with my audience so that they understand what the Supreme Court ruled? Yes,
4: the Supreme Court had ruled that it was a denial of equal protection uh, to uh, deny same-gender couples marriage licenses, that there is a fundamental right to choose uh, to marry uh, in California, to marry uh, an otherwise eligible adult. And in fact, that that is precedent in California because 60 years ago, uh, in a case called Perez versus Sharp, decided by the by the California Supreme Court, they were faced with the issue of a ban on interracial marriage in California. And in Perez versus Sharp, they they struck down that ban as a denial of equal protection and stated that a person has a right to marry, a fundamental constitutional right to marry, and so that's precedent. And 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 we now in our writ are saying it's also a denial of equal protection. We actually have three arguments we make to the California Supreme Court. Yeah, they were great One arguments. One is that the uh, the proponents of Prop Eight, uh, although they call what their their uh, Prop Eight a constitutional amendment, we say it's really a disguised constitutional revision, not an amendment. And Mari, that matters. Yes, and it matters because. In our California Constitution, we have a procedure that is set out for those who wish to revise our California Constitution. That procedure is that if you want to revise it and you want to do it by way of an initiative or you you just want to revise it, what you have to do is you have to go to the legislature, you have to get a two-thirds vote of the legislature, and then the electorate gets to decide. Or, in the alternative, you need to have a state constitutional convention, and then the electoral electorate gets to decide. The proponents of Prop 8 didn't either. Now, why didn't they do that? They probably didn't do that, go to the legislature, because they know that our state legislature has supported the passage of a bill in the past, recently, uh, in support of same-gender marriage. It was vetoed by Governor Schwarzenegger, but they passed it. So they weren't going to go to the legislature and get that result. And they probably thought that they didn't have enough support in a state constitutional amendment. Uh, or a state constitutional convention process. So they didn't do that. Now, I mean, our, our Constitution is very careful about revising the Constitution because that's a very substantial change. And people say, well, Gloria, but the will of the people was they passed Prop 8. But, Mari, the will of the people, the ultimate expression of the will of the people, is stated, is the passage of our California Constitution. Everything must be judged as against that. So,
0: and you, you know, also talked in your in your brief about the separation of powers, that when the Supreme Court ruled and that's the judicial, uh, you know, uh, versus the, the populace or the legislative branch, that the legislative branch can't then change what the judicial uh, branch has already decided. Well, right
4: Exactly. And we argue that. The, the constitutional requirement of separation of powers doesn't permit the use of the proposition format right. to remove or circumvent the judiciary in determining the interpretation of what is or is not a fundamental liberty right and who is and who is not protected by the Equal Protection Clause. Gloria,
0: why didn't somebody come like you or, or some other attorney go ahead and say that that proposition in and it, of itself was... Um, inappropriate, and that it shouldn't be done like that, and, and ruled it that be, the should
4: in other words, shouldn't even be allowed to be be voted on the upon. ballot. Yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, we were approached by someone else to do that, and we felt that it there was no way that we thought that the court was going to stop the proposition from being voted oh. upon, uh-huh. and uh, and 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 you know that they would resolve the issue if, as and when it passed but not prior to its passage. There was an effort by others, however, uh, a lesbian rights group, to stop the proposition from being placed on the ballot, and, the, and they uh, they filed with the Supreme Court, but that case was dismissed. They were unsuccessful, as I thought they would be.
0: Uh-huh,
4: uh-huh. And
0: isn't there a huge issue in, in that the um, – Gay people are a protected class. Isn't that an important issue in your brief as
4: well? And it I is. think a lot of you, you, people don't you, you understand that. a very that. important point, yes. Because what the court has said, the court in May found that not only is there a fundamental right to marry, but that homosexuality is a, quote, suspect classification, end quote, under the Equal Protection Clause of our state constitution. Now, what that means is that once a group, a minority, is considered to be or declared to be a suspect classification, then, the, then the, what that means is that the court will give strict scrutiny and apply what's called a strict scrutiny test to any uh, law which purports to discriminate against that protected minority, that suspect classification. And so they did apply strict scrutiny, and that meant that the government, would have to prove that there was a compelling state interest uh, in, in discrimination against that protected class. And they found that denying the marriage license, uh, the, the government could not provide a compelling state interest to deny it. So they found that test could not be met in marriages limited to a man and a woman. Now, we allege that Prop 8 conflicts with the Equal Protection Clause and by the way, um, so we say that inc- if it's limited to straight couples, excludes gay couples, that's inconsistent and in conflict with Equal Protection Clause. And uh, by the way, we present an unusual argument, which is that if the court is going to uh, apply the Equal Protection Clause and deny marriage licenses to same-gender couples, then California should not be able to issue marriage licenses to non-gay couples, right? <laughs> because if it does, it would be violating the equal protection clause. Because straight couples would have more rights by being allowed to marry than gay couples would.
0: Right. So if um, if the supreme if the California Supreme Court hears this, when, when are they going to hear this? By the way.
4: <clears throat> well, I don't know. That's up to them, of course, but. Uh, as far as I know, that the uh, the actual votes have not on Prop eight have not yet been certified. I see. So until they're actually all finished being counted and certified, then I don't think the Supreme Court's going to step in.
0: so if if this if they do buy your argument, which I think your your uh, your brief was really well written, makes a lot of sense, and it really follows through with what that court in itself had had written and decided. Mm-hmm. So if they do that, so what will happen then?
4: Uh, well, uh, then if they, if you know, they're, they're probably going to set a briefing schedule, and then they'll hear oral argument, and then they'll make a decision.
0: And I'm saying if they rule in your favor, then... Oh, I'm
4: sorry. If they rule in our favor? Yes. Well, then Prop 8 will be struck down, and say, this, A, the same gender marriages which have already taken place, after our victory in the Supreme Court in May and before the passage of Prop 8 will clearly be valid and the state will be compelled to continue to issue marriage licenses to same-gender couples.
0: And the proponents of Prop 8 could then take it to the US Supreme Court?
4: Well, you know, we'll have to see whether that would be something they could do as well. The problem is for them that it is general, you know, it is generally the law that you know, that it is the state Supreme Court, which can't, which is the proper entity to interpret a state constitution.
2: Right. Uh,
4: I think they kind of varied from that principle a little bit. Supreme Court in the Gore case years ago uh, involving the election. Uh, but, but generally that is the principle. So they may or may not have a basis to take it to uh, the federal courts. We'll have to see. I, you know, I, I don't think they have a likelihood of success if they do, but we'll have yeah. to see what happens. We're really in uncharted legal waters here. Yes. So it's really difficult to say what's going to happen.
0: Well, you know, I just read recently in the Orange County Register um, an article about a case by uh, that's being filed in the federal district court in Orange County.
4: Um, yes, I saw that.
0: Yeah. And, and he's trying to... Take this to the U.S. Supreme Court. What do you think about this? Is uh, His name is Gilbert.
4: Yes, I know. Uh, yeah,
0: Richard G. Gilbert. Do you know him?
4: Uh, I don't think I do. Yeah, so he
0: he's filing in federal court yeah, for I, I a will gay say couple.
4: I, I do not know anyone in the gay and lesbian civil rights m- legal movement who thinks that this is a good idea.
0: Oh, I wouldn't trust it to this court.
4: Well, I don't think anybody thinks that you know, and it's not something any of us would have done. Yes, because again, we think the proper place is the state court and not the federal court.
0: And this is a state law.
4: Well, it yeah, it's a state, you know, purported constitutional amendment. Right. Again, which we call a revision, it requires it's a it's it's a challenge. It's a it's an a proposed amendment to the state constitution. And it requires a decision by our state Supreme Court. So we think this is the proper place. Absolutely none of us would have filed it in federal court. Well especially because our Yeah. Did. I mean our state's not Supreme... that we didn't notice that federal courts exist. <laughs> right. It's just that wasn't the proper place.
0: No. As no. far
4: as we were concerned. Now we'll see how he does. Don't know what his reasons are, but he's done what he's done and then we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I hope it doesn't interfere with the tri- with the work that you're trying to do.
4: Well We'll have to see what happens.
0: Yeah, We're speaking with Gloria Allred, who is, has been a uh, wonderful civil rights and woman's attorney for, oh, well, I guess, 33 years. She's done a terrific job. She also is the author of a wonderful book called Fight Back and Win, and this is a chance for you to read this book and find out how you can fight back and win whenever you're discriminated against. So you've been representing Robin Tyler and Diane Olson for many years. Exactly. Uh, w- what, what's going to happen if the Supreme Court does not rule in your favor? Uh, what What's going to happen with all these, what, 18,000? How many marriages now? 18, uh, tw- well, 1, there are thousands,
4: but I will say this. Um, I, I doubt that the court would nullify or void the marriages, the same-gender marriages that took place after the Supreme Court made its decision and prior to the passage of Prop 8, no matter what the court does, for the following reason. The court said that it was unconstitutional to deny them licenses. And so they were married during a time, during a period, where clearly the court said that it was constitutional for them to marry. And I think that, A, they wouldn't retroactively nullify it because I, I think it would be a violation of due process, And uh, B, I don't think they would nullify it because there is generally uh, the concept that if a proposition wishes to nullify, or that I should say be retroactive, then it has to be specific about its intent to be retroactive, and that was not mentioned in this Proposition A. Right, it was
0: silent as to that. Huh. So we're going to have two basically if that were to happen we'd have two separate classes we'd have the domestic partners or well, we'd three, have separate, three separate three classes. yeah those who live together who don't register as domestic partners then we have people living together in a loving relationship as homosexuals and then you'd have the married crazy
4: yeah well you <laughs> we can't have different classes of people right and um so I think that this is, uh, that's why I think it's such a serious issue that's got to be addressed by the California Supreme Court, and I think they recognize that and will. And I just hope that they show the same wisdom and courage that they did in their initial Supreme Court decision. Right. Which we
0: won in May. I know. You know, I had Therese Stewart on, and she argued for the uh, city attorney up in San Francisco. but. Let's talk about why this. They did a great job. They did a great job. Yes, I read their brief too. So tell tell my audience why this really is a privacy, a right to privacy case as well.
4: Well, I mean, you know, any anything involving the marital uh, relationship, I think involves privacy. When I say anything, I mean, you know, the the part that would involve intimate an intimate relationship. And I want to add, too, that a lot of people say that, well, Gloria, I mean, why do they have to marry? Why can't they just have civil unions? Or why can't they just have domestic partnerships, which is right. what we have in, in California?
0: Right, because and- they do have all the rights in family law. I mean, they have a right to get spousal support and child support, and basically the Family Code gives them all of the rights, you know, that they that a married couple would have. So there are a lot of people who say that.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, I think that the pro- that. That the issue is very, very broad, and I think that um, I mean privacy is an issue, but frankly, I think that equal protection is a bigger issue.
0: Right, right. Well, help my audience understand why it's a civil rights issue and not a religious or a social issue. Oh, it's
4: a civil rights issue because it's about the denial of a marriage license. It isn't. Uh, it isn't. And it isn't about whether spiritual uh, leaders, ministers, rabbis, priests, must perform a religious ceremony. They can can or cannot perform it. I mean, that's totally up to them. Right. Uh, But it's about whether government can deny a license to a certain class of people, but not to others. Right. And, um, no, I don't think they can. And, by the way, why do we – why is it that certain groups are considered suspect – uh, classifications if laws are passed which discriminate against them, why, why does the court then give strict scrutiny? Why does the government have to show a compelling state interest in discriminating? And the reason for that is because groups that are suspect classifications are often considered politically powerless. In other words, their minorities are not the majority. Right. So the court traditionally has wanted to protect minorities against the tyranny of the majority. But also, often they're groups that have had a, a, a history of discrimination against them. And, and I think that it's clear that, that, though, that people who are gay and lesbian have um, had a history of discrimination against them. And while they are growing in political power, they still are not the majority, and I don't think they ever will be the majority, so really are, are not able to protect themselves. In a political point, from a political point of view. So they are deserving of protection. Also, sexual orientation is biological. It is by nature a, a, a characteristic that cannot be changed.
0: Right. It's not a choice.
4: It's not a choice. Well said. In other words, I didn't choose to be born heterosexual. Right. This is just the way I was born. I had no choice about it. Conversely. Those persons who are gay and lesbian did not choose to be gay or lesbian. This is the way they were born. So that is yet another reason why that they should be considered a suspect classification, because they can't. it's not within their control or their power to change who they are.
0: Right. And if you tell them they have the right to marry someone of the opposite sex, it just isn't congruent with who they are.
4: Well, they're attracted to someone of the same gender. Right. And that's the you know and and they want to marry somebody of the same gender. It's as simple as that.
0: Right. So to your to your clients Robin and and Diane, what does the word marriage mean to them as opposed to domestic partnership?
4: Well, and that's an important point. And and that's a point by the way that was also made and by the Connecticut Supreme Court. Uh, because the Connecticut ha Court has, of course, also struck down under their state constitution uh, denials of marriage licenses, and as all and today, Connecticut uh, same gender couples are going to are, are starting to marry in Connecticut. Right, right. Uh, so it's great that we're talking today. Uh, it's because they have civil unions in, in Connecticut. We have domestic partnerships. Essentially, even if you afford the same rights and responsibilities in a civil union or a domestic partnership it still doesn't have the word marriage attached to it the word marriage has a special significance that is not uh... you know is not carried by the term domestic partnership or a uh, civil union it's
0: not a business because it relationship does have a
4: special significance that's why the right. opponents of same gender marriage want to deny it exactly. it's also why the proponents of same gender marriage want to have it
0: right right let's switch gears a little bit because one of the things that you've done in the last 33 years is you have also protected you've been a defender of privacy rights for many many years so what about the invasion of privacy how do you define that
4: Yeah, but let me just say, in reference to privacy on the same-gender issue, you know, when you think about it, um, and I'm not really sure if this is a privacy argument, but it is an argument that I I think is interesting. When you relegate same-gender couples to domestic partnership or civil unions, Uh then you have a situation where the children of those same-gender couples will see their friends and say, well, their friends can say, well, my parents are married, what about yours? And then the children have to say, well, my parents are domestic partners, And that right away tells people. Second class citizens. They must be same gender. Otherwise, why would they be domestic partners? Right, right. So, in other words, their privacy about who they are, their parents are, is gone because they are marked. Right. As same gender couples. Not that I think there's anything wrong with that, but other people, other children may think, well, there may be some kind of stigma because they can't marry. They're not as good as. Right. They don't have the respect and the dignity. of marriage the way my parents do
0: right and so, it's it's like that whole thing of separate but equal but yeah, it's not I mean, equal
4: exactly i mean in a way that's an invasion of privacy to have to say you know by 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 having a different term for your relationship
0: right who you are
4: yes and now the separate but equal of course the court has said brown versus board of education is you know that's a myth right there's no separate but equal it's separate but equal is separate and unequal and same is true with same gender relationships,
0: right, right.
4: There is no question that domestic relationships and or partners and civil unions; those are just not equal relationships because they're not called marriage.
0: Right, right. Well, I think you're going to win in the long run on that one for sure. I'm, I'm. I don't know how long it'll take you, but it, it'll, it's going to happen, right? I mean, hopefully it, that we're going to come to our senses about realizing that this is a discriminatory. Uh, Proposition.
4: Well, uh, it's you know the law is always what the courts say it is, right? Ultimately, and so we'll have to wait and see what the California Supreme Court says. I'm one thousand percent convinced that this is a denial of equal protection, but it's going to be for the justices to decide this.
0: Right, right. Let's switch a little bit with gears here because you have been a proponent of privacy rights. Look, you know I. I'd like you to talk a little bit about the privacy issues that arose with Amber Fry. Okay. If you could talk a little bit about that. That was interesting the way you talked about it in your book.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and Amber, I think, was a real hero. She was the key prosecution witness in the case of People versus Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson uh, being charged with murdering his pregnant wife, Lacey. Yes. And also being charged with murdering their unborn fetus, uh, who would have been named Connor. And Right. I'll, She, Amber, was, uh, as I say, the key witness. We all remember she secretly recorded uh, telephone conversations with Scott Peterson uh, after Lacey disappeared. She recorded those conversations uh, with him for the police and at the request of the police. And uh, and they became very important at the trial, as did she. She, of course, had been... um, really a a, a dating relationship with scott peterson and
0: and she didn't know at the time that he was married when she started dating him
4: married he he indicated he wasn't you know that it certainly gave her the impression he was not married she would never have dated him had she known he was married and ultimately when she heard that somebody named scott peterson had a missing pregnant wife you know she checked on it and then found oh my gosh this is the same scott peterson Right, and she voluntarily contacted the police, and that's when they asked her to record. Because she became a key witness at the trial, and she became kind of at the vortex of a huge media storm, she contacted me, asked me to represent her, which I did. And we were very concerned that uh, during the trial that she would be asked questions that would be by the defense that would be invasive of her privacy like when she would be on the witness stand testifying that perhaps she would be asked questions in reference to, you know, her other uh, sexual relationships and, um, you know, whether or not she'd ever had an abortion, questions that would be very invasive. And we didn't feel that she should have to sacrifice her privacy in order to testify in a criminal case. So we made that point with the district attorney's. With whom I might add, we enjoyed a very positive relationship, and uh, and and also asked them to bring a motion, uh, to a uh, motion in limine, to make sure that such questions would not be able to be asked, or if they were, that they would object at the appropriate time, and um, and and she did end up testifying, and she did uh, testify, I think, very credibly, and her testimony. I think was very important to many members of the jury, and uh, ultimately he was convicted on death row, and that's where he belongs.
0: Right. I mean, and and without her testimony, there—if if if the—if Lacey had not been found and the fetus had not been found, then there would there would really be no case or very little, right? So it was really key what she had to say, and of course her tapes.
4: No question, it was key. And it was also key that she not be undermined and her credibility,
0: and divert the court. That's what you talked about. Divert the attention.
4: Destroyed before she ever got to the witness stand because so much was going on in the court of public opinion. Right, and that does infect the, you know, the process, and and so we all know that. So, you know, we and I wanted to continue to, you know, support her, and you know, and and she is a good person doing the right thing. uh, Tremendous courage and i didn't want this to be a case of the operation was successful but the patient died right that he got convicted but the witness was ruined.
0: and and people may not understand why she needed to have you represent her i think yep. that's an issue that a lot of people didn't understand the same thing happened in the o j simpson case they that the family uh, nicole's family needed you well,
4: that's a and very i think important people qu- didn't don't, don't understand it yeah yeah and the reason is what me, most people don't know is that witnesses and or crime victims have a right to private attorneys, even in a criminal case. Exactly. Now, the reason that it's important for them to know that is because they need to have someone that they can speak to in a con- and be in a confidential relationship with so that they think to some of them that, okay, well, they tell the police or talk to the police or the DA, and that'll be confidential. It's not because no. the district attorney represents the people of the state of California, not the witness victim. Right. And the police, so neither the police nor the DA have a duty to keep confidential what they're told. Matter of fact, I had a call from someone yesterday and I won't say who, who is an important witness in a criminal case. And this person was very upset because something she had told to law enforcement suddenly was given to the defense and then now appears in the newspapers and she's very upset. And I had to explain to this person, well, that's because they're not you're not in a confidential relationship with them when you speak with me, you are right, but not with them. You can say anything you want to me, you can get any advice you want from me. I can't say what you say you and I would hope you won't say what I say, but that's up right. to you right uh but that's not and she didn't know that when she had that we would speak to them that she would be in a confidential relationship.
0: Right, and and the would be DA over the
4: defense as well as as the you know as it, as it does have to be.
0: Right, and the DA really isn't going to look out for her or his best interest.
4: Well, that's another thing is DAs especially in high-profile cases have so much going on. I mean, they have a lot on their plate. They have got a lot of witnesses usually, a lot of evidence. They've got so much preparation to do. They really often don't have the time to even be be prepare prepare their witness right the way they would like to if they had more time right and so again a private attorney can be there to help to the witness to understand what their duties are in the criminal justice system what the expectations are and really to be a support and a comfort to that witness
0: and some so many times the witness is. Um, the defense will try and destroy the witness on the witness stand.
4: Well, of course. It's always, you never want to put your own client on trial. Right. You want to put everybody else on the trial, the police, the prosecution witnesses, the what, the evidence, everything. I mean, that's just an old defense yeah. tactic, and everybody knows it.
0: You, you wrote an article called, Does a Witness in a Criminal Case Have a Right to Privacy? Tell us a little bit about what you think about the Kobe Bryant case. The which case? The Kobe Bryant.
4: Oh, the Kobe Bryant, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, this is uh, you know this is an issue that keeps coming up uh, in criminal cases. Does a witness have a right to privacy? So, right. th- what I want to say about that is that every person who is going to be a witness in a high-profile case should consult an attorney in their state right. um, and try to get some advice uh, about the limits on privacy you know, what they can expect and, you know, whether how far uh, the defense can go in terms of cross-examining the witness and what might come out, where the lines need to be drawn, uh, what motions can be filed, what can be done, in other words, in short, to protect their privacy. Of course, you're an expert in this area, and but I do think that that's what every victim should do.
0: Yes. And in, for example, in the O. J. Simpson case, they they even tried to throw the family Nicole's family out of the courtroom, right? That they didn't want them to be well, there exactly. during trial?
4: And yes, they did. And I had to come in and um you know, and address the court on that. Because the idea that a victim's family and in fact the family of a murder victim or you know, or a wrongful death victim, they are victims themselves. Exactly. And they should not be excluded from the courtroom, even if they may be witnesses. Now, it is traditional to, for defense attorneys to make a motion to exclude all witnesses from the courtroom so that witness is not affected by somebody else's testimony. Uh, but I think there needs to be an exception where it comes to a victim's family. Yes, they should not be excluded. So that was a point that I made.
0: Yes, and and you,
4: and if you, if they, they didn't have you, they probably,
0: add. yeah, and if and you won on that, and if you weren't there, they may have been excluded. They wouldn't well, exactly have had the power.
4: because, I mean, that's really something that you know the district attorney's office may or may not. You know they may they may think that maybe it's better for the victim's family to be excluded because then the just another you know it just takes away another issue on appeal if there's a conviction right. Uh, right or they may think that no they shouldn't be excluded, but again, I think there is a role for a private attorney, and this is just one of the things a private attorney can do, yeah be protective of their clients
0: right. The public courtroom can really be a place to destroy privacy. And you talked about Marsha Clark, who was the prosecutor on the O.J. Simpson case, and how her privacy was invaded. you want to talk a little bit about that, how upset you were? Well, that was were?
4: incredible. I mean, here she is, a prosecutor in a high-profile case, people versus O.J. Simpson criminal case, right. murder, criminal murder. Um then I mean, and then she was going through a custody trial. All yeah. investigating her, right, and her relationship, and rumors about whether whether she did or did not have, you know, a, a, an intimate relationship with Chris Darden. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and about, about custody, about her custody battle yeah. with her a husband. That was you know when they were getting divorced. It was just really, really oh. went very very far with yeah, Mark Clark. Yeah, really, I you know did every, I think she did everything she did could to be professional throughout it.
0: Yes. But her invasion, I mean, her privacy was totally invaded during this process. Very much so. Yeah. You also represented Hunter Tilo. That was a very important right-to-privacy case and a right-to-pregnancy case.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that Hunter Tilo was an act, and I talk about this in my book, Right Back yes. and Win. Yes, I might add, if I may say, it's still available on Amazon.com. Oh, yeah. Online. It's- but um, I talk about Hunter Tilo, who was an actress, and she had a, and still is an actor, uh she had uh, a contract to appear on Melrose Place right very popular television show and then she became pregnant and then she received a letter essentially indicating that that she has a material uh, a material change in her appearance and so that she no longer so she essentially terminated from that role on Melrose Place well her material change in appearance was the fact that she got pregnant right uh, we allege that 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 was a you know that that violated public policy policy and that's pregnancy discrimination to right. terminate someone from a position because they became pregnant. Well, with, to our best of our knowledge, even even up to and through today, there would never been a trial on that issue before, and for an actress, and so we went to trial on it, and uh, I might add that we won, that the that the jury found that she was discriminated against. On account of the fact that she was pregnant, and we won a multi million dollar verdict.
0: I think f- what was really funny was you said that when she was on trial, she was eight months pregnant, and no one even knew it.
4: Well, that's it. <laughs> but by the time we finally got to trial, she had given birth to her first child. Right. To that one, not the first child, but that child at, at issue in, in that particular contract. Right. And then uh, when we finally got to the trial, everybody, the press was coming every day and commenting on how beautiful she right. was and how fit and how felt and all of that. And, and then when she months. finally took the witness stand, we asked her, by the way, uh, are you pregnant now? <laughs> and she said, oh, yes. And I think she said seven or eight months. Yes. And there was like an intake of oxygen in the room where all the reporters went, oh, because nobody could believe that she was pregnant. And uh, but she was, and nobody could, nobody had noticed it.
0: How and, ironic! And so <laughs> I
4: mean, I think that was important. And the point what we showed was, you know, they with Heather Locklear, they had shot when she became pregnant, they shot around her. Yes. Even Lisa Renner, who's a who replaced her, uh, she got pregnant. Of course, she wasn't terminated. You know, by that time, the fact who had filed a lawsuit, I think, protected the 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 rights of 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 uh, Heather Locklear and Lisa serena. And they could shoot around it. There were other, you know, they, they could have accommodated it, accommodated the pregnancy. Right, right. But we also showed she was bold, beautiful, and pregnant all at the same time. You can be. And I think the jury was very offended when the defense put up a chart that essentially showed how much weight I know. Uh, Hunter had gained each month as though she was a piece of meat. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. uh, anyway, the jury just didn't buy the defense argument, so we had another one of our David versus Goliath moments where we had fought them, the armies of lawyers, essentially that that uh, that Aaron Spelling had hired to fight against us.
0: You know, uh, from the
4: big law firms, and once again yeah. we won. And 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 we give you know a lot of credit to Hunter, who was very courageous throughout. Because a lot of actresses are afraid of being blackballed, right? If they, if they file lawsuits against you know against uh, producers in Hollywood. And I might add that she's gone on to continue to have a wonderful and successful career. Yep.
0: Yeah in your book fight uh, fight back and when you also talk about what happened during a deposition the kinds of questions that they asked her during the deposition yes, i think that did. was very brilliant.
4: invasive uh, actually, i don't even remember exactly what the question was at this point
0: yeah you asked if her husband would get a vasectomy yes, exactly. things like and that we didn't think
4: I she should have to answer those kinds of questions so Exactly. we did uh all sorts of we sexual did appeal questions on that issue and we were successful on that as well
0: yes so you protected her right to privacy exactly that was terrific isn't it true, though, really, when you do file a public lawsuit, a lot of your private information is exposed?
4: Um, well, whatever you file in a lawsuit, in the complaint, yes. is, of course, a public record.
0: Right, right.
4: And, um, you know, most, and cases, in trial. most cases are never going to be high profile. Most cases, we never going to be picked up as newsworthy.
0: Right, right.
4: Um, and so for most people, they don't have to really be concerned about that. But, you know, if a case does become public, then people do have to be concerned. I mean, how much privacy do they have to sacrifice in order to right. assert and vindicate their rights?
0: Right. And I think, you you know, a lot of your uh, clients that you talk about in your book, fight and uh, Fight Back and Win, you talk about how courageous they were and how much you really respected the fact that they were willing to do this because they did have to give up their privacy in so many ways.
4: Yes, exactly. And so, but the typical person... Is willing to make sacrifices. And people, a lot of women come in and they say, Well, I don't understand. I thought I had these rights and I didn't. Why should I have to fight for them? Why me?
0: Right, right. And of course,
4: I say the answer is, Why not you? Right. Because we've always had to continue to assert our rights. And, you know, no one has ever given us our rights. We've always had to fight to win our rights. Even the right to vote, no one ever gave us the right to vote. We had to fight for 72 years in the United States. Uh, to win the passage of the 19th Amendment, uh, women's suffrage, to the United States Constitution. We're still fighting to win the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment. We've been fighting for that since 1923. We still have not won the addition of the ERA to the Constitution. Right. Uh, So we have to fight for our rights. The fact that they're on the books doesn't mean the corporations are going to necessarily afford anybody their rights. You know, they're, they're going to do business as usual. So right. when they violate our rights, we have to make a decision. Is this the time? Is this the place? Is this the right case to fight right. back and win? And often it is. And it's our clients, I think, have understood that, how powerful they really are uh, to win justice. And it's just very exciting to see them evolve from victim to survivor to fighter for change.
0: Right, right. From victim to victor. That's the name of one of my books, by the way. <laughs> Tell us about the story about Debbie Volker. She wanted to be a police officer. Tell what happened to her and what kind of questions she had to deal yeah, with. That you don't. I only
4: have a, a few more minutes. Okay. But, okay. Uh, Debbie wanted to be a police officer with the city of El Segundo. Uh, she'd had an affair with someone who was already a police officer with the with the city, and um, when she applied, uh, she was denied the opportunity because it came out that she'd had the relationship with that police officer uh but of course he was not he he was not uh, terminated because he'd had an affair with her so that was clearly a double standard right and also she was asked numerous questions which we felt were extremely invasive of her privacy um and uh, you know questions about her sex life and, and you know whether she took birth control pills and so forth and we didn't think that anyone should have to sacrifice their privacy in order to get a job on the police force or for that matter anywhere else that they shouldn't have to talk about their private, intimate sexual activity or relationships right? just to get a job. So we challenged that. I might add we were successful in the, in the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, and that case has been cited as precedent in many other cases nationwide.
0: Well, you have been such a wonderful resource for, for us with this book, Fight Back and Win, by Gloria Allred. It's uh, got a lot of your cases in here and great Advice to give us to pr- protect ourselves and fight back as well. We thank you so much for all of the time that you've given us today.
4: Well, thank you so much, Maury. It's been a pleasure, and keep up the great work that you do on privacy uh-huh. and also as a mediator.
0: All right, and thank you so much. Okay, bye bye. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Gloria. It's terrific to have you on, and I know you're running to another interview, but I just want to read something from her book, Fight Back and Win. My 30-Year Fight Against Injustice and How You Can Win Your Own Battles. This is what she says at the end of the book. More than anything, in the face of adversity and injustice, I want you to overcome your fear and be fearless. Find your voice and not be voiceless. Exert your power and not be powerless. I want you to be able to fight back and win justice for yourself, your children, your family, and your community. When you are feeling pessimistic or even hopeless, remember the words of Susan B. Anthony, Failure is impossible. There is no defeat in standing up for what is right and fighting injustice. As suffragist Carrie Chapman Catt once said, Whenever a just cause reaches its flood tide, whatever stands in the way must fall before its overwhelming power. Speak up fight back and seek positive change. Others will follow your lead and ultimately you'll come out a winner. I want to thank Gloria Allred for joining us tonight. You may want to pick up her book, Fight Back and Win by Gloria Allred. You can get it at Amazon or wherever. And I want to thank you for joining us tonight on Privacy Piracy. I'm the host, Mari Frank. Please join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Also visit our website at KUCI.org slash where you can download podcasts, where you can listen to archived interviews. You can see our upcoming guests, their picture and their bio is there. And you can write us emails about what you want to learn about or concerns you have about privacy in the information age. Thank you, Lloyd, and thank you. Good night.
2: The opinions and views expressed in this
1: program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
0: I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm privileged to also present Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips, and today we're welcoming back Sergeant Rob Gonzalez, who's in charge of special events and supervises the K-9 unit. He's been with the Orange County Sheriff's Department for 22 years, and he's also a security expert. So today, let's talk about what tips do you have that we can protect ourselves at home.
2: Well, Mari, there's, there's quite a few tips that, that we use, um, and the Sheriff's Department website is, a, is an excellent tool to be able to uh, access. But some of the things they talk about is, of well, the term that we use is crime prevention through environmental design. The SEPTED is the acronym for that. Well, let's and go over that.
0: C like cat, E P, T, like Tom, and D, like dog. So tell us what that means.
2: It's crime prevention through environmental design, and basically that is criminals look for opportunity. And and a way to eliminate the opportunities is to keep your bushes cut to a reasonable length around your house. Make sure lighting is, your dark areas are lit, uh, lit up well, because basically someone's looking for a place that they can hide and they can get into a window or kick in a door where they can't be seen from the street. So if you're looking at your house from the street everything has to be well lit and everything visible from the street. And that's where neighborhood watch kicks in, neighbors looking after neighbors. Obviously we can't have a, a police car on on every street at every time and neighbors have to look out for each other. So it's one of those situations where if you're in a neighborhood and you see someone, uh, one of your neighbors sees someone in your property that doesn't belong there, you call in and, and report it to us. But as far as the uh, the other elements to keeping yourself secure, make sure you don't leave any windows open during uh, the day or night. Uh, you know, If you're home, that's fine. But if you're away, you know, don't leave a window open for ventilation and I'd say even a second story window. Uh, something you may not think that someone can get into, you would be... Surprised. Uh, We've had several incidents where someone will leave a bathroom window on a second story open, and a uh, person is able to get in through that window. And burglaries are are, uh, crimes of opportunity, absolutely. Someone's going to find an opportunity, they'll take it, and you just have to lessen their chances of success.
0: So what are some other anti-lift protections and uh, other things that you can do?
2: Well, if you're going to be leaving for an extended period of time, uh, have your neighbor pick up your mail if your mail is delivered to the house, your newspapers. Leave on lights on timers to come on at certain times during the evening times, uh, your porch lights and your interior lights. Uh, some people leave on radios or other noise, uh, TVs inside the house. So it can be Also, it can be on timers. Everything that gives the appearance that someone is there. Have a neighbor park your car in your driveway, things of that nature. Like I said, just, just to lessen the... Uh, of opportunity. Well,
0: we thank you so much. And why don't you give the Orange County Sheriff's Department's website so people can find out some more home security tips.
2: Sure. It's www.ocsd.org. <laughs>